Hi, everyone. Just before we get started with this podcast episode, um, I've got a word from our sponsor, um, the Toronto School of Management's NCA exam prep program. So you can follow the, the TSOM NCA prep program on Facebook if you just search TSOM NCA program. Um, what they're doing now is they're coming out with a lot of new materials. And in particular, they're coming out with sort of a new way of approaching exam strategy preparation. So on March 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, the Toronto School of Management's NCA exam strategy and sample paper live session will be taking place. For people who are studying in small groups or for people who have um, been self-studying or even for people who have had the experience of tutoring with other great, other great mentors and other great teachers out there, if you're looking for a little bit of extra help or looking to shore up some questions that you might have, uh, the session is $60 and it's hosted by Amadeo Clevio. Um, Amadeo obtained his JD from Osgoode Hall Law School and is the owner of Clevio Law Professional Corporation. I'll be there as well to moderate the session, so to make sure that all of your questions are answered. Um, you can submit questions prior to the session to have it be a little bit more structured by emailing ncaprep at torontosom.ca. And also, if you're interested in registering for the event, again, it's $60 Canadian. There's no taxes included there. Um, and you can either DM me personally, and I can connect you with the right people within the Toronto School of Management organization, or you're able to email ncaprep at torontosom.ca. Um, they're looking forward to seeing you, and uh, I know that they're really excited about the launch of this, this particular um, kind of class where it'll be two hours of, of an opportunity for you to go through a sample paper and to, to double check that you understand the IRAC method and um, to shore up some of your skills, whether they be Vavilov or other, you know, a test of reasonableness um, or something else to do with the administrative law exam that's happening um, March 8th to 11th of this year. Welcome to A Shot of Life, a podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind their professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 27 of our NCA series. Our 27th guest and third time on the podcast is the NCA Executive Director, Deborah Wolf. Deborah has been nice enough to join us for a third time now, and um, I'm excited to be able to launch this episode because we'll be discussing a lot about the new age of the NCA exams now that they've moved online um, full time and now that they've been spread out monthly rather than quarterly. Uh, I hope that everybody enjoys the episode, and um, as always, we're we're open to feedback with the podcast. If you can reply um, in comment sections via Instagram, via Facebook, um, in ratings on iTunes and Spotify, um, or you know, DMing me personally on any of my social media platforms, and I'd be happy to to reach out to you and also to forward your questions. Should you have any, or follow up comments? Should you have any to to Deborah and the NCA team? Hi, Deborah. Hi, Anton. It's good to be back. Yeah, back. Uh, interview with Deborah Wolf 3.0. Thank you so much for taking time um, to, to speak with me again. My pleasure. Well, um, I know that when we spoke last, I believe it was episode 19 of the podcast, um, we agreed that we might revisit another discussion um, after kind of the first set of exams had been gone through in January. Um, and so my first question to you, Deborah, is um, how did those go? How did the January exams go? Did they go as anticipated or were there some hiccups unanticipated? Um, yeah, just generally speaking, how did those go? I, I have to say, in general, we are very pleased with how they went. Um, one of the big issues, we had a number of issues um, in, with the implementation of the online remotely proctored exams. 
Um, one was people's wait times to co- get connected with a proctor. And another then was technical challenges. So we can deal with that one by one. Um, the wait times were excellent um, to get connected with a proctor. That, that doesn't mean the wait time to start writing your exam, but getting connected to a proctor. Um, and they varied from, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but they, um, over the past two months, because we've done now three weeks of exams in January and two weeks of exams in February. Um, uh, so we've done, oh, I don't know, two, 2000 exams. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wait times have varied from zero seconds to about 13 minutes. And that was an outlier. So it looks like the average wait time is about three minutes for people to get, you know, they, they log in, they get into the waiting room and a proctor picks them up in about three minutes mm-hmm. um, with many people having less time than that. From the technical side, um, the proctors and the platform. So, so there's two different companies. There's the company that, um, that does the platform where you sign in and where you write your, um, your answers. And then there's the company that does the live proctoring. Um, I, I'd say that we're very happy with both. Um, we, we, I think there was one crash total in the last six weeks, in the last, so in, in January and February, mm-hmm. um, as compared to August when we had daily or more frequent crashes. Um, and the proctors, I think there was one instance of a proctor that um, had left their mic open um, when they shouldn't have. And so that's going much, much better. Um, we are controlling the numbers very carefully. And so I think the highest number of writers we've had on any d- given day is between 200 and 250. And some days it's, it's less. And so you'll see the schedule, how we've got, you know, maybe trusts on one day, we've got four days of foundations, four days of, of professional responsibility, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So of course, for the Canadian subjects, they're in the order of probably 150 to 220. Um, writing on any given day, which is absolutely uh, achievable for the for the two companies that we're dealing with. Um, there are still some issues with individuals and their technology on their side. Mm. So whether that's their hardware, um, whether that's their um, internet connectivity, um, but on that side, the proctors can help. And the one message I would like people to take away, well, two messages. One, read your candidate agreement, so know what you can do and can't do. And two, if you start to have issues where perhaps your typing is lagging or um, think something disappears, immediately inform your proctor. Um, we rely on the proctor's notes and the reports of these issues to deal with problems. And if you had problems that you didn't tell the proctor, um, there's not much we can do about it unless there is a, um, you know, unless the system can say, okay, yes, we saw that they got kicked out at this, uh, you know, at this time or that time. Mm-hmm. And the system will kick them out if their connectivity um, really drops off. And that's actually good for the students because that means that they aren't typing and the typing is not being read by the system. Right. So being kicked out means that whatever you typed until you were kicked out was saved and then they'll bring you back in. Um, and they'll bring you back in typically with maybe five or 10 minutes added to your, um, added to your exam so that you can get reoriented. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've spoken to a couple of candidates who, who had that happen. And while at the moment, the experience is quite frightening <laughs> to get booted from an exam, but it is good to know and to hear it from you, Deborah, that, um, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a negative aspect to it. In fact, it just stops where you were at and allows you to pick up with potentially some time added on to the end of your exam. Yeah, we had a um, our weekly meeting with the the two companies yesterday afternoon, and they confirmed that it's a that that the system is saving every twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. So the most that you'll lose is twenty seconds of of typing. Now, I, and I'm not minimizing the impact of, um, of being kicked out, mm-hmm. um, but it really goes to um, the student making sure that they're in an environment. Um, you know, if you've got children homeschooling with you, or you've got, um, you know, maybe a teenager who's gaming, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you can get them off the systems. And, and you know, when, we, when, when they register, they can request a specific time frame within which they want to write the exam. So maybe that's after their children log off for their day of virtual schooling, or maybe it's before, you know, toddlers wake up in the morning. Um, and if they do get a time that doesn't suit them um, and, they, and they get to log in. So we've just, yeah, th- this morning I loaded all of the start times for March for admin. 
And so if somebody logs in and says, okay, well, that's what I wanted, but it doesn't work for me now, um, they can contact um, uh, Delaney um, at Monitor EDU and ask for a change in start time. They can't always accommodate it because it depends on how many people want it. And we can certainly see that there are certain times of the day that are more popular than others, mm-hmm. but, and we're doing our best to accommodate, but you know, we can't have, um, if we're having 200 people right in a day, we can't have 100 people starting at noon, for example. Right, of course. And are you, um, this is just kind of a, a curious question of mine. Are you noticing that most of the exams are being written from within Canada or are they being written from outside of Canada? I ask because, you know, as you know, the podcast kind of speaks to people all over the world. And I've mm-hmm. spoken to people who are writing their exams abroad and spoken to some people who really um, are grateful <laughs> for the yeah. fact that they can do that. I mean, there were there was somebody I was speaking to based out of Africa, who would have had to fly to a different country um, in order to write the exam traditionally, and now is so grateful for the fact that they're able to write it from home, or at least from from an environment where the internet is is good and everything. But I'm wondering if you've had, do you have any kind of sense of how many people are writing it abroad? I haven't asked that question of our providers. I'm sure that they could tell by the IP addresses. Mm -hmm. I do know from talking to people, you know, there's people who are asking for a midnight Eastern time start time. Right. And, you know, and and we do know that there's people in Hong Kong, there's people in India, there's people in Cameroon, there's people in Nigeria. Then the ones in Nigeria, we we hear because of the issues with um, power being shut off. Mm. Um, So so they're absolutely all around the world. And, and, uh, you know, there's a few, I have a few thoughts on that. One mm. is, I think it's wonderful that they're not having to fly to Toronto or London um, or, you know, the, the, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and from an environmental perspective, anything we can do to keep people closer to home, whether it's, you know, in Canada, Fort McMurray to Edmonton, you know, if, uh, you know it's a four hour drive, I think. Um, and, mm-hmm. and if you can keep people at home, that's great. Now, and when, when we stay at home, it might mean if they've got an unstable Internet connection, they might have to go to a public library or rent, maybe rent a hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, that's that's far better than having to drive or fly to uh, to another location from a, you know, let, let's save the planet type perspective. Right. Um, the fact that people are around the world, I know that there have been some challenges um, in the oral communications between proctors and students in terms of maybe accents and things like that, because um, the proctors, from my understanding, are predominantly in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so I can imagine that if we've got somebody who's from Alabama, it might be a little hard to understand their accent. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, but but they're I mean, the proctors are proctoring all the time. So they are getting more and more used to talking to people and making sure that what they say can be understood by our students. So I think I hope that that's going um, well, I haven't seen a lot of complaints about it. Okay, great. Uh, excellent. Um, and so I know that last time when we spoke, um, you had mentioned that to try to um, curtail some of the delays in people receiving their grades back from their exams, you were going to hire a few extra um, you know, exam designers, stroke markers, as well as some people some systems people within your office to help deal with application volume and things like that. Um, firstly, I, I suppose, have has that happened um, yet? And how is that going? Yeah, I, I, um, so we have um, two new people in our team for responding to emails. Mm-hmm. Um, they were hired in no, early November. And um, it takes a while to learn how to answer all the questions and to um, understand how the NCA works. But it appears looking at wait times. So we use a ticketing system for emails, just like many firms use. Um, And so we can really see how many emails come in, how many people respond, um, how many hours are our staff online every day, how many emails have gone out, all of those types of things. Um, And it's remarkable. Um, as of the end of January, we had had 22,000 emails received between July and, and the end of January. Um, mm. And <laughs> just think about I, that for a second. Goodness, <laughs> wow! It's, yeah, it's it's quite it's kind of mind blowing, isn't it? Um, yeah. And so the two new people came on in in November. At, at some points, we had a thousand emails sitting waiting to be answered, and we're we're down to the point where um, there were maybe you know 170 that were waiting to be answered. Um, our goal is to get 
a personal response back to everyone within a business day. Now, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that their question will be answered, um, but that these two new people can say, um, and everybody gets a bounce, an automatic bounce. So you're going to get that. Then you know your, your email is in the system. And then within a, a business day, that this is our goal, you'll have a response that says, I can answer your question. Um, here's the answer. Or mm -hmm. I can't answer your question. I've referred it to the person who can answer it. Um, they're pretty busy, but they'll get back to you in a week or two. Right. Um, so that's the type of thing that we're we're looking at. So um, so you'll be able to tell the difference between the bounce because it comes back almost immediately and it's got the ticket number and there's some you know hashing and things like that that you'll see. Mm -hmm. And then within a business day, you should get another email and it might be fairly short saying we've received your email um, it, and it's gone in the queue for a response because you know you can imagine if the if the question is a bit more complicated or if it's one that um, is very specific, I qualified for my CQ. I want to know where it is right now. Well, there's one person who does CQs mm -hmm. at certificate the qualification, right? So it goes and wait for. It. And if she is in a situation where she's trying to issue 250 CQs in a week, she may put those kinds of questions aside for a few days. So um, that has that appears to be going quite well. It's not mm -hmm. perfect, um, and it's still a situation. And I don't know about you, Anton, but I know that you know I've emailed. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I, I subscribe to those, uh, not HelloFresh, but one of those types of things. And sometimes good when you email them. Good foods or something, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, good foods. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you've heard, but they had a big issue in January and canceled orders the day that you were supposed to receive them. And of course, then when you try to phone or you try to email, um, the response time was really long. And my right. sympathy and my empathy for those people is a lot higher now that I run these types of systems where, you know, you can understand there's something going wrong and 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 lots and lots of people are trying to email or call. Um, so we're, we do, I believe at this point, um, we're on the, we're, we're on, it's not resolved. It's not, it's not perfect, but we're getting closer to where I want our service standard to be on the exams. Um, you're correct. I hired, um, a number of new examiners. So we went from three to four examiners for each of the five Canadian subjects. We went from, uh, one to two examiners for contracts, torts and property. And then we have one examiner for the remaining subjects, you know, business organizations, evidence, civil procedure, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Those new professors and those new numbers came into effect for our January exams. Um, and I know that there's been a lot of complaints, legitimate, valid complaints about how long it took us to get our exam results out from July, August, September, and October. Mm -hmm. um, and we did not meet our service standard at all in, the, in that. But that was not necessarily a question of the number of examiners. That was more a question of, implementing the online exam system that would typically have been done over 18 months, two years, three years, and we did it in six weeks. Yeah. So it, it was our database didn't talk to the, to the um, online system database. We were doing things by hand. We, when, we, when we ran into trouble in August, we almost immediately made the decision that we were going to do a makeup session in September. And so mm -hmm. we had to focus on setting up the makeup session in September rather than making sure that all the exam marking was getting going. So the issue wasn't the number of examiners for the fall. It was everything else that was going on. We now have four examiners for all the, the, the five Canadian subjects and two for contracts, torts, and property. Um, we also have a situation where we're not dealing with 3,000 exams that were written in 10 days. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that is key. And so I, I have a personal goal, which I won't tell you um, yet, because I want to see whether we can get there. But our stated goal is 10 to 12 weeks from the time the last exam was written. And we're taking our exams no longer as October exams, November exams. Now it is criminal exams, constitutional exams. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, the 10 to 12 weeks, we will be beating it. There's no question about it. Um, it's a question of how low we can go. Right. And so. Um, you know, so the people who wrote um, constitutional, I don't want to open up my browser because we'll start getting notifications, but the people who wrote constitutional in January, um, uh, there's four days. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and then the company takes a day or two to get everything put together. And then they advise us of the people who wrote. And then we have to do some manipulation to that list and, and then um, send out the logins to the examiners. And so that process takes about a week. The examiners have a period of time to mark. Um, and then when they start to send back their, their mark sheet, then we have some work to do on our end. Um, but this is happening week by week rather than waiting for all of the exams to be written in a month, let's say. Right. So um, 
I think that we're going to find that some exams come back quite quickly and some exams might take, um, you know, closer to the 10 week time frame, just because of maybe where they fall in schedules and, and what else the examiners are doing in their lives. Right. So, of course. Um, yeah, so so I don't ever expect us to have a 10 week turnaround again. Um, uh, but I don't want to give an unrealistic number of weeks for a turnaround. Right. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, the the old adage is under promise and over deliver. Uh, so sounds like things are moving in the right direction, which is good. And, you know, moving forward, it looks like the 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 August exams and October and November examinations will be a blip on the radar for the NCA, hopefully. Um, and I know that a lot of listeners and people, candidates who are undertaking NCA exams with certain deadlines in mind will appreciate that. Um, so that's kind of, those, those are the questions that I had for you stemming from our previous conversation, Deborah. but I, I did canvas a lot of the listeners and I did get quite a few questions for you from them. Um, and again, I, I suppose this is an excellent sort of venue for listeners to have their questions answered by, you know, the executive director of the NCA. Um, and so some of them will vary. Um, some of them you may not be able to address as thoroughly, and some you may you may well be able to. But I'll start, um, Deborah, with the first one I received was <clears throat> a question, I suppose, on a more broad scale. Um, this individual was suggesting that there's a particular lack of knowledge about the NCA program and its equivalency to Canadian credentials in the more broader Canadian legal marketplace, let's say, other law firms. Um, and the suggestion is that because people don't really understand the NCA equivalency and, and how rigorous a, a process it is for internationally trained lawyers, they may discount it in some way. And the suggestion then leads to whether or not the NCA candidates feel discriminated against or sort of put into a second tier um, caliber lawyer by existing Canadian lawyers and existing Canadian law firms. I suppose, first of all, what do you make of that? Have you heard of that yourself? And um, second of all, is the NCA in any position to, to address the issue or to make it um, more accessible to Canadian lawyers and law firms to understand what, what the equivalency process is? And anything, anything to that issue, uh, Deborah? Yeah, it's an intriguing question. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I mean, I have a number of thoughts on, on this. And, and I think the first would be that the members of the Federation are the 14 law societies in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, the NCA serves the law societies in providing that route to, to a certification, um, of people who are educated outside of Canada or in a Canadian civil law program. Mm -hmm. And so we're not serving employers. Um, but, but. I, I mean, I say that just to just to you know kind of lay out what what our role is, and our mm -hmm. role is to ensure that people have the qualifications required and the and the you know the basic knowledge required to enter the bar admissions or licensing process in a Canadian common law jurisdiction. Right. Uh, sorry, Canadian common law law site. Um, I mean, I, I ideally an employer would say, um, oh, you're with the NCA. Can you give me the your transcript? You know, and, and and every NCA applicant has an up, has a button on their portal where they can print out their transcript, mm -hmm. and the transcript will show what they were assigned and their progress towards meeting those um, those assigned requirements. Um, you know, my, ideally, the employer would would look at that transcript, would know exactly what that means, um, and would rely on that as opposed to let's say a credential assessment from the World Education Services in Toronto or IQOS or any of these other um, provincially mandated. Um, agencies, the, these agencies, which, in my opinion, shouldn't be looking at professional level regulations like law or engineering or nursing, et cetera, because you know they're they're just doing hmm, they're, they're, they have they play an important role, mm -hmm. but it really is this level of degree that this person earned in whatever country is equal to this level of degree in Canada, mm -hmm. and that's not helpful for somebody um, who has legal qualifications right. um, and who wants to go on to become a lawyer. Um, you know, and, and I'm kind of intrigued with the concept of of improving our um, the the level of knowledge amongst employers of the NCA, and and perhaps there's ways that we can improve our website. You know, maybe we could have one of the pages would be information for employers, 
Um, and then, uh, you know, an NCA applicant could use that page when they're communicating with employers. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is kind of, this is planting a few seeds for me. Um, I, I do want to make the point, though, that this is not our primary role. Yep. Um, but I, I see it as a important tertiary role as we go forward and get things um, cleaned up from, you know, the challenges that the pandemic has brought us. Right, right. And it's like, that's... That's good. And I, I agree that, I mean, part of the reason I included it was it is an interesting question. It's sort of an existential one that there is no easy answer for um, whether or not there exists a two tiered um, class of lawyer, um, depending on where you got your law degree from, is sort of like you say, sort of beyond the scope of what the NCA's mandate is. But at the same time, um, it's it's good and it's interesting to raise the issues because like you say, perhaps the NCA can do something towards making that, making, you know, the process of the NCA candidate more clear to employers. Um, so that's, you know, we'll sort of keep half an eye on that uh, moving forward. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the mm-hmm. whole second, the whole second tier thing is beyond the scope of, of, yeah. of what we do. And, and, you know, I think that, that we could say, oh, look at the Canadian schools and this school graduates people who are better in business law. This school graduates people who are better in poverty law. This school graduates people who are better in research, you know, and 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 then you could look at, oh, well, look at that from overseas. These people have, you know, that we know that the that the law degrees in this country um, have a focus on X, you know, so so I think that, you know, I would hope that an employer is um, looking for diversity of, of, of people within their firm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that you've watched Suits, and you know, wasn't it? Wasn't <laughs> sure. they would only gr- they would only hire people from one law Har- school, Harvard, or whatever yeah. that was? And, you Harvard, know, and, and yeah. what a, what a way to stifle diversity in your mm-hmm. in your firm, right? So, um, I, I hope that people are looking beyond just um, everybody looks the same. Right. Yeah, and I think I think particularly the environment of Canada is moving, however slowly toward that, it is moving towards um, inclusion um, and embracing diversity. So hopefully that just continues. And for for the next question, Deborah, I think you kind of answered it um, in one of my questions, which was, technically speaking, a 10 to 12 week wait period before receiving results of an exam would mean that if you fail in January, let's say, you can't necessarily always be able to repeat in the next sitting, given that 10 to 12 week wait period, particularly. This was what a candidate had had asked me to ask you. But it sounds like um, the NCA is making um, pretty big strides in reducing that wait time. So that won't be an issue moving forward, that a student wouldn't be able to complete an exam that they had failed in the next sitting. So the only thing holding someone back from registering for the next exam sitting is whether they have their result or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's so it used to be that there was an automatic you had to wait one session out. There is no automatic you have to wait one session out. So if you got your results and you failed, you can register in the and and the regist- and the registration period for the next session is open. You can register. So you can see. You know, and if you look at um, our January, um, constitutional was first, criminal was second. That's going from memory. And then there were, um, I don't know, civil procedure, a couple of others um, in that third week. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And then when we've got our registration period for April, um, it might be that some of those get done and marked in time and some don't get marked in time. So it really it's up to when we can get the results out. And that's not 100 percent under our control, because, as you know, we. Um, you know, we have examiners, uh, external examiners who mark the exams. Now, of course, they've got contractual obligations, um, but they also have lives. Um, the other thing I would say is that even if someone can register, if they fail and can register for the next session, we can't always guarantee that they will have that opportunity to um, review their failed exam. Mm-hmm. And we certainly can't guarantee that they will be able to have if they want to appeal their exam result, we can't guarantee that the appeal process would be done by the next exam session. Right, of course. So, so, and so there, it puts it then back in the in the hands of the student to say, what do I do? I want to wait and have a chance to look at my uh, what the answers I wrote and the memo that the examiner wrote me. Do I want to have the opportunity to appeal that fail? Mm-hmm. La, 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 you know, before now, just just to just to be clear, they can find out they fail, register, and then when they then they get an opportunity before the exam 
the next exam, hopefully they would have the opportunity to see their their written answers and the feedback memo. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll have that opportunity because I think for people who have failed an exam, that feedback memo should be um, they should be studying that deeply to find out where they went wrong. Right. Um, and so they would I would say almost in every case have the opportunity to look at that. Whether there is time to go through the appeal process is a, is a different question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like you say, that's sort of in the hands of the candidate. Um, and I mean, I think we've all been there uh, in one stage of life or another, where you come out of an exam room knowing that you just did not have your best stuff that day. Um, and if that's the case, then perhaps it's not as um, important for you to look at whether or not you're going to appeal because you know you just didn't do very well. And in that situation, perhaps you do register for the next one. But it is, as you say, kind of up to the individual at that point to to see. And and again, I've spoken to so many people, you know, stakeholders, Kara from CPLED, um, we talk, we had a big conversation about how important feedback is. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're able to receive feedback from an exam you've completed, even if you think you didn't do well, it's also good to confirm why you think you didn't do well in some ways to so that you can improve your studying. So, and again, I I'm also have spoken to people who have been through the process, um, including Gina from the LPP, who's who kind of deals with the licensing side of things in Ontario, that there is no race to all of this. In some ways, it's better mm-hmm. to take your time. So you don't necessarily need to put so much pressure on yourself to pass the exam in the next sitting um and yeah yeah that's right so so i um one thing would be if someone fails make sure that they check to make sure that the syllabus hasn't changed in between the the time because we do have to bring in syllabi changes um and and you know i I remember i was listening to what gina said about it's not a race and um you know she's so right but i also understand the perspective from the student who wants to get through and you know it's it's funny um uh, you know, I look at, at my own kids and my, my younger one is, is 25 and she's just like, I need to buy a house. And I'm looking at her going, Oh, you know what? You've got time. You've got so much time. But, you know, I also remember being at that age and wanting to, you know, wanting to do all of those things that, um, that you want to do. And it's, I mean, I don't want to minimize what the student, what, what the NCA people are going through, because it's far more important than just deciding whether they're going to buy a house or not. It's uh, far more Mm -hmm. important to get through the process, but you know, and I think that people also need to look at the deadlines and and what they're, you know, what those deadlines mean. We were rushing to get a lot of CQs out before the Barrister and Solicitor examination deadlines. Mm-hmm. And people were really, really worried and upset about this. But they right. have to remember, um, I mean, one, we are going to do our best. And and um, the person who issues the CQs was putting in, I think, 16 or 18 hour days while virtual schooling her children, um, at, you know, trying to get those CQs out in time. But you don't have to write the barrister's exam before you article. Right. And and so um, in now in the issue of CPLED, there are hard deadlines, but there are also late applications. So um, it these are high stress times and stressful for all of us. Um, and, and I understand the perspective of the student and I understand Gina's comment about it's not a race. Um, but it's also, you also don't want to miss an opportunity when the next opportunity might not come up for right. many months or in the case of LLP, in the case of the LLP, um, not for, sorry, the LPP and not for another year. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it is all up to the end. And I, and I know that from our previous discussions, um, you do communicate with, with entities like CPLED to, you know, if, if there are issues with the NCA, um, I believe not, you know, it may be even the last registration deadline was extended because of issues with the NCA or something, something That's to right. that effect. Yeah. So, so things, right. so, you know, you guys are talking to each other and if people are worried about hard deadlines, you know, it may be that there could be some leniency attached to them, depending on what they are exactly, what the reason. That's are. right. And, and some deadlines are, are, are harder than others mm-hmm. um, in the term, like are, are, are more definite than others. So CPLED also put in a late registration um, process, which they're able to do because because they have a different system than Ontario and yeah. the barrister solicitor exams. And, you know, talking to the folks in, in who are running the exams at the Law Society of Ontario, they're finding that they have to have a, they can't move on their deadlines for a variety of reasons. And I respect that. We also don't move on our deadlines. You mm-hmm. know, if somebody says, hey, I missed your deadline. It was Friday. Can I register today? Uh, we're going to say no. 
Yeah. Um, because we have to have these deadlines. They have to be fair. They have to be consistently applied. They have to be objectively applied. They have to be transparent, all of these things. Um, so I, I respect the decisions of the various law societies and CPLED on mm -hmm. these matters. Yeah, that's great. Um, now, just a quick one for you, Deborah, um, is we had spoken a little bit before, and I don't know if you had made the decision to keep the four hour length of exams for the whole year at least or yeah. yeah so that you will the exams will all remain four hours in length for the rest of 2021 that's correct great simple <laughs> that's nice um now there's another question well there's a few questions deborah regarding the the logistics of submitting an application um particularly the submission of documentation, the required documentation. I mean, the, you know, the minimum mandatory required document obviously is your law school transcript. And um, I've been getting a lot of questions about this. Um, and there's one question particularly that kind of summarizes a lot of the questions I've received. Um, and essentially there are instances apparently where an individual's law school is unable to comply with the the requirement that they send the transcript over themselves and not the candidate um and i'm not sure what the reasons are that this individual's hinted that um fees involved or just an institution's stubbornness i i suppose um and instead in some instances these law schools will send a sealed document to the candidate for for the candidate to then forward to the NCA. And so one of the questions is, is the NCA worried about the authenticity of the document? Um, like even if a candidate um, takes, uh, this person says, takes precaution, including a signed affidavit stating the content of the sealed envelope hasn't been tampered with. Um, so I suppose we can start there. Um, what would What is the, the main reason why the NCA requires institutions to receive to send transcripts of candidates directly so it is all around um the reliability of the document mm -hmm. um we have we have we have definitions in our system so they're in the they're in the application form they're on our website there's original documents and there's official documents original documents are the documents that an applicant was given for a credential we will accept original documents for pre-law education for an mba for um, you know, for something that's not legal, but that's not related to their legal credentials. When it comes to their legal credentials, they must be official. And by official, that means that they must have been issued by, um, they must have been pre prepared by the issuing institution. So the university, the, the, the bar school, the um, licensing body, and they must have been, they must be delivered to us without ever coming into contact with the student with the student's relatives, with the student's friends, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, somebody being mailed a, um, a, a documents in an envelope and then they mail it to us is absolutely unacceptable. Right. Um, we will not accept that. And so we, it, it's fraud, it's forgeries, it's alterations, it's um, reliability of the documentation. And we're not the only organization that does this. Many, mm -hmm. many, many organizations do this. Um, now, and, and we also deal with thousands of people a year from hundreds of schools, um, and, you know, from almost all countries around the world. And I think that we're all aware that, you know, when you go to school, you can ask your transcripts to be sent somewhere. And I understand that it's easier in some countries and easier for some institutions than others. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, when a school says, oh, we don't do that, that's, that's not the case. They do do that. Right. And so it may be that it's hard. It may be that it's expensive. Um, but we will not accept somebody walking into our office. Well, I mean, we don't allow people in our office at this point, but, um, we don't allow them to send us the documents that they were sent. Um, and I understand sometimes the schools mess up and they do this. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, we cannot do that because our, our, uh, the way that we've chosen to ensure the authenticity of the documents is by only accepting official documents. Now, if you had your documents sent directly to World Education Services, for example, and, and that means not sent to you and you gave them to Wes, but, um, you know, your school uh, mailed them or it was an online secure um, document transfer process. Um, 
to Wes, we have a, an, agree, an agreement with them, an arrangement with them that they can transfer it to us and we can transfer documents to them. We also will transfer documents from uh, the NCA to Canadian law schools, to the Canadian law societies and to employers if that's what the student wants. So once it's been sent to us, we will freely share it with no fee um, to anybody that you deem um, appropriate. So uh, we will not accept PDFs emailed to us. We will not accept drop boxes. Um, we will not accept any of those. They have to either be uh, mailed to us from the registrar's office or they have to be physically mailed to us from the, from the registrar's office or they have to be through a secure tra uh, transcript electronic um, system. And then we've got an actual list on our website of yeah. which systems are acceptable. And it's really disappointing to see, particularly schools from, from countries like England, where they say, oh, well, we can't do that. Well, you know what? There are tens and tens of universities in England that are all using the same system. It's mm -hmm. perfect for us. We are familiar with it. We get a link. We go in. We download the documents. They're all there. Um, there are schools in India that now have these secure um, document transfer systems, not drop boxes, but the secure systems. In fact, and, and Canada, the Association of Universities and Colleges of Canada has now developed a system for Canada. Um, mm. So these systems are becoming more and more um, available. And, and that's our, actually our preference um, to re receive the documents in that way. Right. Well, the, yeah, I suppose, I mean, the, a candidate can find the information on, on what digital mechanisms exist for the transfer of documents, right, on the NCA website. And it, I think it would be worth sending that information to the institution if they're unsure, right? Because the institution will be able to look at that list and say, yes, we can send it via whatever, you know, whatever mechanism. Yeah, and we've we've some of our some of the students have sometimes sent us their 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 email communication with their school, mm. and it's quite interesting to see some of the schools say, "Why is the NCA being so difficult about this?" Um, you know, and, and the NCA is being so difficult about it because we have to be able to rely on the documents that we receive, right. and we have to count on them being authentic, um, and we don't want to be in a situation where um, you know we assessed somebody on documents that weren't valid. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah, makes sense. So. Um, another question that I received was regarding, I mean, you sort of on the topic of the UK universities that you just mentioned <laughs> can be a little bit difficult for some candidates in, in the transfer of the, of, uh, of the transcripts. They're moving from, um, you know, an, an SRA overseer of law degrees to now this SQE, um, the new sort of countrywide exam. So you don't necessarily need to have a law degree in the UK in order to be a lawyer or qualify as a lawyer. Um, what has the NCA done regarding this? Because in the past, like when I went to law school in the UK, it sort of had to be on this list. Um, and if it was an SRA approved law school, then boom, I know that it's it's accreditable by the NCA. So now with this new move to in the UK, what is the NCA's stance on on accepting law degrees? So an advisory went up on the NCA webpage in last week, last two weeks, maybe, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, about what we're doing. Um, one of the NCA policies is that any applicant has to have a first law degree. Um, so whether that's a JD, an LLB, an LLL, a BCL, some sort of a, a first law degree. So alternative routes to um, licensure that exist in some countries, including the US and England, um, we will not accept applicants from those um, from with those alternate routes to licensure. Right. Um, we're a little dis disappointed that the SRA list is going away. Um, but we've what we've done is we've come up with an alternate way that we will be evaluating graduates from England. So um, first, they have to have an LLB. Second, <coughs> excuse me, um, the LLB, the school issuing the LLB has to be approved by the Equality Assurance Agency of England um, and Wales. Mm -hmm. And third. The um, seven foundations of legal knowledge subjects that was developed by the SRA and the Bar Standards Board must have been completed during that LLB. So that's um, constitutional, criminal, um, uh, contracts towards property, uh, EU law, and trusts. Mm -hmm. So those are the subjects that are required by the SRA and the Bar Standards Board. Those subjects are not going away. We will still require them. We will then also apply all of our other policies, which include the length of the degree. 
um, the pre-law education, all of the other policies that already exist will still be applied. So it's, it's been interesting. I, I deal directly with a number of the of the law schools in England and other countries, but mm -hmm. in England in particular. And so, you know, when the SRA came out with this news, some of the law schools were like, oh, we're just going to offer a BA and have a couple of law, law courses in there and they're all going to be able to get licensed and they're going to be OK. Right. Right. And right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my reaction is, OK, well, I mean, you can do that. Obviously, you can do that. Um, and people could perhaps get licensed as a solicitor in the in in England. Um, but they're not going to be able to apply to the NCA with mm -hmm. that kind of a background. So they still are going to need an LLB, um, even if the S if the SRA doesn't have the list. Right. Yeah. So it, it would it would behoove somebody, let's say, um, who's interested in studying law in the UK, whether they're you know from India or Pakistan or indeed Canada, to make sure that the LLB or the law degree that they're undertaking consists contains all of those required courses and length and things like that. And if somebody is unsure or, or if they'd like some assurance from the NCA, is it possible for a candidate or somebody to, to email you to say, hey, I'm thinking of attending XYZ University uh, for this law program? Is it suitable? Would the NCA be able to say yes or? Well, I, 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 would we be able to? Perhaps. The mm. issue, there are several issues with that. Mm -hmm. um, one is, is that we don't guarantee assessment. Um, another is that we want to provide people with information before they start their law degree. So, you know, those are two conflicting thoughts, right? right. Um, but but if somebody, we've had situations in the past where somebody says, here's my situation, X, Y, Z. Um, and then we come back and we say, well, it looks like it's going to be this. And then when they come to us with an application, it's not exactly how they described it. And the assessment result is different. So we have right. to be really careful when we give those types of, of, um, of commentary. I think the better thing for them to do would be to ask the Bar Standards Board, if I do this, can I right. qualify to enter as a barrister? Because we are following the Bar Standards Board process. And let me say that this is not the only country that does this. Mm -hmm. Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, um, the, the Law Society in Ireland will accept anybody with any background and put them through an education process, whereas the, 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 the organization that um, licenses barristers in Ireland has a list of schools. And so we've actually had in the past people say, well, uh, this school is approved by, this, by the Law Society of Ireland, but it's not because that Law Society doesn't approve schools. They'll just accept anybody with any program from anywhere. And so that's really what's been what's happened in Ireland for I don't know how long decades is mm -hmm. is what England is now going to. And so we've had to deal with these types of situations already. And um, and it's quite clear it's you have to have a law degree. You have to have a law degree that would uh, prepare you to enter the bar standards board process. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fair enough. And I, I think that that answers the question. Definitely. Um, and and as you said, there is an advisory on the NCA website for people to take a look at. Um, and to that end, to the advisory end on the website, there was one um, released not too long ago, if not, when was it, on the 16th, that the NCA is reopening the office, yeah. which is great, great news. Um, yeah. And so yeah. one of the questions was, obviously, when is the NCA going to reopen the office? And, you know, that's obviously up to government. I mean, people need to, people who may not understand that it's, it's essentially when the government of Ontario says that it's okay is when the NCA will open the office. For instance, in Toronto, we're still under a lockdown, or I guess they're going to a color-coded system now um, on, as of the 17th, we're going to be in a gray zone, which is locked down. But as I understand it, the NCA office has been a allowed to open up. Right. So Ontario has, a, as you said, a color-coded system. And until mm -hmm. um, until the 16th, well, I mean, we were under a state of emergency and stay-at-home orders mm -hmm. um, since I don't remember what the date was. Was it in de in December or, or yeah, in early I January? Believe it was December prior to Christmas, I believe. Yeah, I think I think the, they, they did a lockdown and then the state of emergency came in in January. Um, but Ottawa, the, the Ottawa health region moved to orange. So it goes black, gray, red, orange, yellow, green. Mm -hmm. And so at orange, um, I mean, orange still says anybody who can work from home must work from home. Mm -hmm. um, but we so we have a skeleton staff in the office. And that means that mail is getting opened. Files are getting um, prepared. Files are being assessed. Um, and so out of the, you know, the 30 people who work for the Federation, I think we've got I mean, I was in yesterday. There were four of us there. Right. Um, 
and we've got one more person starting today and um, another person who um, who comes in, in the evenings because they're homeschooling, uh, they're virtual schooling their children during the day. So, you know, you, it's, it's a very challenging time for everyone, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. You know, trying to balance uh, keeping keeping the, the, the work going, but also keeping your lives going at the same time. Um, so it's a skeleton staff. Things take longer because we've got some people who work outside the office. So, for example, the person who issues CQs is not in the office. Mm-hmm. And so um, if if a, a file needs verifying what happened with this file and somebody needs to go and grab the physical file and, and pull out and see, you know, what happened in that file, um, it might take an extra day to verify a file is ready for a CQ. Right. Um, we, we, we assess files physically um, and make notes physically in the on the documents in the file. And so the assessments take place in the office on physical right. files. Right. Um, and we've got. What's what was interesting is that our first lockdown from March till I think we went back in July, mm-hmm. maybe June. Um, it looks like the you know the two months that we were shut down this time, we have almost the same amount of mail as the four months from that time. And I think what it is is you know Ontario went into stay-at-home orders um, in a state of emergency, but other jurisdictions didn't. Right. right? I mean, if the, those of us who have friends in the U.S. or family in the U.S. or or even watch the news, and you can see how they're going out to restaurants and they're you know they're operating almost as normal, but we aren't. And so we we will comply with government orders. So if Ottawa goes into the red or gray zone, um, you know, we will have to shut down our office again. I'm, I hope that that won't happen because for, for multiple reasons, one of which is it would mean that our numbers were going in the wrong direction. Right now, our numbers are going in the right direction in Ottawa. Um, but we've got, as, as, as we said, we've got people back in the office. It's a skeleton staff and we're starting to deal with the backlog of mail um, and assessing files and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, good Good to know. Um, just a few more questions for you, Deborah. <laughs> Thank you uh, again for, for such detailed answers. I know that the listeners will really appreciate it. Um, one of them was asking if the NCA kept statistics or if there are statistics available um, showing lawyers who have completed their NCA exams um, and wh- and how that correlates to a pass or fail rate of the bar exam in Ontario. Is there statistics on that? I, I know, I think there was a report published in 2016 or 2017 that did have some, some statistics to that effect. Um, is there, are there any more updated stats on, on the success of NCA candidates going through the licensing process? So those statistics are not on our hand and not under our control, right? So they would be right. under the control of the law societies. Yeah. And so, I mean, my I would always favor transparency, um, but it would be up to the law society to decide whether they would release those types of statistics. Right. Um, I, I, um, I've had conversations with the law societies about how the NCA people perform. And I think that what we would see is that um, the NCA is not doing as good of a job as we would like it to do in preparing people for the licensure process. Right. So um, we're doing, we're going to be, we're doing some new things. Um, anybody who's been watching our website will see that we've been working with CPLED, so Kara and her team, in putting together um, what is currently an optional legal research and writing course. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will no, that will not be optional at some point in the future. It will be mandatory. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who've taken it have learned a lot. So it's Canadian in that it's using Canadian research tools and mm-hmm. it's, it's legal research and writing and people are getting individualized feedback on their writing. They have, you know, they have to do formative and summative assessments that are written that go to an actual person to be assessed right. and that type of thing using Canadian um, research tools and um, having that individualized assessment is the type of thing that we want to bring more in into the NCA to ensure that people are properly prepared or sufficiently prepared to for success in the in the licensing process. Right. Oh, that's that's great to know. Um, yeah, and I think there are. I, I understand the question in some ways that there are there are individuals who are wondering um, what you know. Ultimately, if I invest all of this time, money, energy, you know, some people moving to Canada, is it worth it in the end? Am I going to be able to pass the exam? And I think, obviously, firstly, it's it's a self-assessment. You need to go through whether, you know, and it's also speaking to others who have been through the process, which is where social media comes into play and where 
there's these, although everybody's kind of locked down, there are communities that you can access to learn about others' experiences, what to expect, things like that. And it kind of leads into my next question, Deborah. There was actually more than a couple of people have raised some concerns about these communities that have really exploded um, online, um, all about internationally trained lawyers and the NCA be it preparatory services or um, organizations offering mentoring and networking, I would say there are some amazing, um, really, really, like, I, I don't know, people who are coming into the process new now won't know what it was like beforehand when there weren't all of these resources and, and opportunities to network. But obviously what comes with all of this momentum um, and volume is some some questions as to what the validity of all of this is and some confusion as to um, whether or not some people are agents of the NCA because you know they they have the word and the letters NCA in their title or in their services and it's just been um, a concern of some to figure out how to navigate this new world of the explosion of, of NCA um, prep and NCA support. So I wonder, uh, I suppose they wonder, first and foremost, what the NCA's official stance is on this. And I know we spoke briefly about this before, um, but I guess it would, it kind of, obviously there's an appetite to learn a little bit more about how the NCA views this community that's growing. Yeah, I, I recall our previous discussions about this, Anton, and, and I think um, I would go back to what we had discussed at that point, which mm -hmm. is the NCA cannot provide a mentoring, tutoring, teaching um, uh, function that we are the certifying body. It's our role to implement standards. Um, and so we can't provide that that other service. And so I welcome um, third part party providers into the system to mm -hmm. um, for those people who choose or want or need to have the assistance. I, I welcome the third party providers. Um, it's unlikely that we would ever get into a situation where we are approving them. I can't imagine us doing that. It just isn't something that we would be interested in. Mm -hmm. um, but if people are violating and uh, violating our copyright or if they're violating uh, they're saying they're claiming that we've approved them um, or they're claiming that they've got a personal relationship with um, a member of my team or me. Um, then I would want to know about that because that's certainly, you know, we are not giving um, approval or blessing or um, accreditation to any type of organization. If they're using our logo, um, I would like to, you know, I want to get that off. And I've had to do that in the past where I've had to ask people to remove our logo from their website. It doesn't mean that they can't say, hey, we're providing services to people who are going through the NCA process. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely legitimate. But it's if they post their our logo on their website saying that, oh, we're approved by the NCA, that's not legitimate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I I, I think that I, I, I'm very disappointed to hear that there are people out there who are um, providing subpar services. Um, and I think we do have to go back to that people need to do their research before they get involved. Um, or commit to working with someone. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And just anecdotally, from my from my side of things, from what I can see, I think um, it's important for everybody to know that you know the the NCA is such an important process and a step that needs to be taken. But there are some individuals who claim that you know if you want to practice law in Canada, come to me and pass the NCA, and you're good to go. Um, so I think that's where some of the the confusion comes into play because they're just not not aware of of the next step. And like you say, it's up to you as a as an individual and as a candidate, as a, as a potential lawyer in Canada, to do that research to understand what the process is in terms of accreditation and then licensing, and um, just you know, it's it's a it truly is a buyer beware market. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate that we have to have that conversation, isn't it? That you know, there are people mm. out there who are doing things that um, may not be completely on the up and up, or or are are taking money for substandard um, uh, uh, services. But I think that the that the NCA student uh, body as a whole are savvy. They're mm -hmm. online. They're talking to each other. Um, and so I think I suspect that if people are not doing uh, not not providing good service for for money it'll come to light amongst the the students 
Yeah, exactly. Um, well, that, that, this has been great, Deborah. I'm I'm just looking through the questions that um, that listeners had submitted, and I believe that we've covered um, all of them, really. Um, so, are there is there anything anything that you would like to to say or to to mention? Um, yeah, I, I so it's been really interesting for me to listen to the students' stories on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and to listen to them talking about here was my, you know, here's my path, here were here were my challenges, here were my my difficulties. Um, so that's been that's been really interesting to listen to. Um, and I think most of them have said, Oh yeah, the exams are doable. You just have to prepare for them. And that was also, you know, that was satisfying to hear that because that's my belief as well. If you if you put your head down and you prepare for the exams, they're absolutely doable. They're they're um, they may be a different format than than you know the different students took at their schools and their in wherever they took their their degree. Um, and so they might be a different format. They might be something that is a little bit new to people, but if they are doable. If you have a law degree, you can absolutely get through the yeah. NCA process. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people may need to do some um, you know improving in their you know their written English or French or um, you know maybe think about time management. Um, I know that the adjustment to typing has been. Um, a challenge for some, but it's a skill. You know, mm-hmm. they they can they can. I I am absolutely of the track of old dogs can learn new tricks, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so even those of us who are a little bit um, you know on the on the maybe on the older side, we can you know we can learn how to navigate these types of systems. So um, it's been really good to listen to the stories that you've had on um, on your on your podcast, Anton. I appreciate it. I also appreciate the people who are. Um, and clearly have listened to the podcast before and, and heard the message where I was talking about some of the difficult communications we had with students in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to read people say, um, I know you're busy and we're busy and I've got a problem and can you please help me with it? You know, and that's, and it's so nice to see that. And um, to, where people are saying, I'm, I'm upset about something and let me explain it to you um, clearly so that, so that you can help me with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really appreciate that. Um, and I hope that as we've been adding the more people to respond to questions and solve problems, that people are seeing the effect of that and are seeing quicker response times um, from our part. There are certain things that are um, that are still quite behind. Um, and one of them is something like returning original docs or forwarding documents from files to um, to law schools. That is something that can't be our top priority mm-hmm. um, because our top priority has to be in moving the files forward. Um, issuing paper CQs is also something that is is on low priority um, because that's something that takes a lot of time in the office, and we w- we're prioritizing the different pieces of activity that we're doing as um, as we have the very small skeleton staff back in the office. Mm-hmm. So we're balancing, you know, we're balancing the safety of our employees um, with the priorities of our work. Yeah, of course, agree. So that that only makes sense, and. It's good to hear that um, people have heard you and heard what you had to say about, um, you know, the staff and you know, just just a certain level of decorum that would be appreciated from people who may not understand how much pressure or how much work and how the volume of work that that is that needs to be done by the NCI offices. So it's good to hear that people are are understanding and recognizing that and and articulating that in correspondence. That's great. Well, Deborah, um, really appreciate it again. Um, your time is always, um, for the listeners, so valuable to to learn and to to listen to you and to hear from the NCA itself. And um, obviously, looking forward to um, episode 4.0 in the not too too distant future. But for now, I, I think it's been a really great learning tool for me, obviously, and also to allow listeners to submit their questions um, has been um, great for them too, I think. I mean, I, all I have to do really is put out a post and I receive, you know, you can imagine so many direct messages um, with questions that people have. So, and and what's interesting, I guess, for the listeners to understand is that um, a lot of the questions do overlap. Um, so, Everybody, you know, you may think that your question is not worth asking, but really a lot of people are thinking and wondering the same thing. So by all means, keep the questions coming. And and the next time that Deborah, you and I are able to speak, I'll, I'll have more for you, I'm sure. And, and I really appreciate you doing this because it's it's so good for me to hear the questions that people, you know, the things that the the topics that that, that the students are concerned about. Um, and it's it's 
also an excellent opportunity to get the story out, um, mm -hmm. to get the, you know, the, the solid answer out. Because um, if students are talking to each other and saying, I heard this or I heard that, um, that's not always useful. Um, so the fact that we've got this uh, platform that we can provide the information to the students is really important. So thank you very much, Anton, for, for inviting me back. Great. Yeah. And thank you, Deborah. I really appreciate it. And that does it for episode 27 of A Shot of Life. Thanks again to Deborah for taking time out of her busy schedule to speak with me. And I hope that everybody managed to glean something from the podcast, particularly how the NCA is managing through the new structure of exams. And uh, again, as always, if there are questions or comments, please you know, feel free to DM me on any of the social media. Um, and uh, until next time. We'll talk again.